I'm really glad that, that you're here this morning. I'm very thankful that you're joining us today. And from all of my family who just happens to not actually be here, but I'm speaking for them, from all of my family, I want you to know how much we love you and how thankful we are for you to be here joining with us during this Christmas season. Today we're going to finish up our three-part uh, series called Fear Not. And we've been looking at different angelic appearances in the Christmas story. So you see an angel, and it seems that they're going to say pretty much right away, right up front, fear not. Uh, week one, angel appeared to Mary. Week two, the angel appeared to Joseph. This is not the way it happened in the story. That's just the way it's happening here. Week three, today, we're going to look at um, the angel appearing to the shepherds who were watching their flocks by night. So in each story, there was a specific fear that we, were, that we all experienced, and we've been looking at those. The fear of the day today is pervasive. Uh, it's a fear that many people have. It's a fear that exists in this country and in countries around the world. This morning, we're going to look at the fears surrounding where do I stand with God. For those of you who do believe in God, there comes a time, that quiet moment sometime when you're there and, and you start to think to yourself, what does it mean? Uh, what, what, what do you think would happen to me if I die? Where, where do I stand with God? Have I done what I need to do? What will happen? And I can't speak for the rest of you, but I can quite honestly tell you that as I grew up as a child, um, there were times that I was just scared to death. Scared to death that I wouldn't be good enough for God because we all believe that God has a good-o-meter. And I was afraid that my good wasn't going to be enough to tip the scale. I didn't know how you measure up with God. There's no scale that you can trace. There's no, there's no way that you can see, like, I'm at a 72 today. You don't know. There's no thermometer. You don't know what he really wants. And so how do you know if you've done it? And how do you know that you've done enough of it? So to make matters worse, I was taught a prayer by someone. I don't remember who, who taught me this prayer. It's a little prayer. It was pretty popular when I was younger. I, I don't hear it as much anymore, but many of you will probably know. And it's a cute enough little prayer until you get to this one kind of freaky part. And, and so I'm going to go through the prayer. And when we get to the part that might just freak out a child, maybe just raise your hand, okay, and say, right there, that's the spot. So that I'll know that you're thinking along with me and we can agree on this, okay? So imagine you're that little kid and we'll, we'll get the whole picture. You come and you kneel beside your bed because somehow kneeling beside your bed is more powerful than praying in the bed. So you kneel beside the bed and you've got your elbows kind of up on the mattress and you are, you're engaged and here we go. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Good night, little Johnny. Sweet dreams. Don't let the bed bugs bite. Hope you don't die tonight. 99. See you tomorrow. Or will I? This, this is the thing I was going, it sounded so nice. It's supposed to be reassuring, but maybe it's just my mind. I'm going, that didn't sound reassuring. And I remember praying this prayer. I could, I could die tonight? Wait, wait, what? I could die? If I die tonight, God take my soul? And then your parents would leave. And the lights go out. And the door closes and then the real praying begins, right? God, if I die, don't send me to hell. God, if I die, don't send me to hell. God, if I die, I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. Take me to heaven. And, and there's these nights that I was so afraid that I'd pray this prayer on and on over and over until I fell asleep. 
Now, our Fear Not Angel story of the day is a very popular portion of the Christmas narrative. And I hope that this uh, really familiar passage, you can hear it in such a way that it becomes new for you. And, and it becomes the game changer that it really can be when it comes to viewing your standing with God. Where we're going to look, we're going to start in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. So if you like to physically turn there, do that. Otherwise, we'll throw it up on the screens for you. And there were shepherds living in the field, out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Right? Hey, we just said that. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, fear not. Well, if, you know, again, King James. If you read the King James, it would say fear not. In the translation we're using here, NIV, it says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today. In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but do you remember that when we say good news, that there's actually a word that means good news that doesn't sound like that's what it means? And it's a really churchy kind of sounding word, but it just means good news. You know what that word is? The word is what? gospel, right? So when we say we're going to share the gospel, what we're really saying is that we're trying to let, just let some folks in on some good news. Now, some people say, okay, well, what's the good news? I mean, if we need a savior, that's bad, right? What do we need a savior from? So you're going to have to pay attention because this is going to play out. So think about this. Who does the angel in this story appear to? Yeah, that's good. Shepherds. Like, if you can't follow along with what we're doing right now, like, I don't know how to slow this down for you too much more. He's talking to the shepherds here. So back in the time when Jesus lived, whenever a family would give birth to a child, it was common, if they had any sort of financial means, to hire a herald. That would be a person to go out and herald or to announce the birth of their child. Kind of like what we do now with a yard full of pink flamingos, right? You ever see this? This is like, hey, there's a baby. Hey, there's a birthday. We want people to know. So when it was their first son, they would make a really big deal about it. Not just because they were happy, because they took this as a symbol that God was blessing them. That the family name, their heritage, would continue. And that God was blessing the family. And so they would hire a herald to let everyone know, to announce the good news that a child was born. And that's exactly what God does here also. God sends an angel to herald or to announce the good news. So hark, the herald angel sings, glory to the newborn king. But what's really interesting is who God sends the angel to. When, when the son of God is born on earth, who do you think God would choose to announce that to? It's a big deal. It impacts everyone. So who do you tell? <clears throat> well, we might imagine that it would go to bigwigs, right? Go to the royalty. Let's go tell the king. Let the king know what's going on. Or because this is about God, let's tell the religious leaders, right? Let's let them. They should be pretty pumped about this. Let's go tell the Pharisees. Let's tell the scribes. Let's get the Sadducees together and let them know. But instead, God sends the angel to make this heralded announcement to some shepherds. 
But what you might not understand is that shepherds were once most, one of the most disrespected groups of people around. The job of a shepherd was so low that it, within the family, if you couldn't hire a slave to do the job, you would give this job to the youngest child. The youngest son would take care of the sheep. And you know this. If you think back to when um, Samuel was coming around to um, anoint David to be king, where was David? Youngest son, out taking care of the sheep. We don't even bother to bring him into the house. He's the young one. He's out there doing that unimportant stuff. And so uh, it was often reserved for slaves. Like if, if you could get a slave, you, you wouldn't even want someone in your family to do this. Shepherds in general were uneducated. They had no means of advancement in their career. You don't go from shepherd to business manager. It's not the way it works. You don't go shepherd and then king following the standard way the world works. But wait, there's still more. According to the religious system, shepherds were always rejected because they were ceremonially unclean. The religious people taught that shepherds weren't good enough for God, that they could not even be made right with God, that shepherds could not even live up to the religious rules of the day. And, and so it's no wonder that they were always worried about, that they always lived in fear of where they stood with God. Every message they heard was that they were distant from God. So I bet you're asking yourself, why did the shepherds feel distant from God, right? You were asking that? Well, reason number one that they felt distance is because they felt unworthy. And many of us feel the same way. They were outcasts in Israel, and they were taught specifically, you are not good enough for religion. You're not good enough for God. They were nomads. They were wanderers. They go where the sheep can eat. And their job took them on the road. Kind of like a trucker now might go on the road for like 10 days before coming home, a shepherd might be out on the road for weeks or even months feeding the sheep, making sure that they were taken care of it. Therefore, they couldn't come back regularly to the temple. And because they couldn't do that, they were declared ceremonially unclean. In other words, they're not right with God because they couldn't perform their religious duties because of their job that kept them on the road. <clears throat> and as you can imagine... They also hung out with sheep. So what do you think they smelt like? Sheep-like, right? Not good. There were no truck stops to go to when you were out there to grab a shower and, and uh, get that Lever 2000 kind of feel for all their 2000 body parts. They were physically dirty. But even more damaging to their soul, religious people considered them spiritually dirty. So much that a religious person would not even touch a shepherd because if their body touched a shepherd, they would be now considered ceremonially unclean. The unclean would jump onto the next person. And so knowing that, knowing when you walk through a crowd, if you ever were back in town, this is the way they're looking at you, completely unworthy. And here's the kicker. That's the way many of us feel also. We can come into church and we can put on the church face, right? But we know the bad things that we've done. And we think, kind of looking around, 
man, I know what I've done wrong. I know the good things that I should do and, and don't do. I, I know the, the bad things that I shouldn't do, but I do them. How could God love someone who's done what I've done? And then, and then you kind of look around. This is the season, right? Especially at Christmas time. And everyone looks so Christmassy and, and holy and righteous. And you're like, they look pretty. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, I almost killed my own child getting to church today, you know? If my arm had been any longer, I would have taken him right out. And then you come into church and suddenly, suddenly you go, oh, oh, I think I messed that one up. And you feel unworthy. They felt unworthy. Number two, they felt inadequate. They were uneducated. And so they felt like inadequate was like stamped right on their forehead. Everyone could see it. We can never measure up to everyone else in society. And when we, when we compare ourselves to others, you already know how inadequate we feel, right? And even worse, spiritually, when they compared themselves, they felt lowly and inadequate. One of the big rules for them was that you had to keep the Sabbath. You had to take a total day of rest. And shepherds, well, they couldn't do it. The job is 24-7. The sheep need protection. The sheep need to be cared for. So physically, they could not do everything that they were supposed to do. Constant spiritual failures. Sometimes we're like that too. We look around at other people and they seem so close to God. They've got a Bible verse for everything and, and they're quoting books of the Bible and you're saying like, I didn't even know that was a book. How do you do that? And their prayers are powerful. And you're thinking, the last time I prayed, I prayed, God, help me not kill that person in the parking lot because they just took my parking space. I'm so unspiritual. Well, the third challenge that the shepherds had was that they felt unloved. In reality, most of them were thieves. Sort of a survival thing. But this is a sad fact, that even if they weren't thieves, they were considered thieves by the kind of people that they hung out with. Guilty by association. They were not trusted. People would want to stay a far distance from them. In fact, they were so distrusted that a shepherd was not allowed to give testimony in a court case because no one could trust them. They wanted to get married, but no father wanted to bless their daughter to marry a shepherd because they were so low. They were so filthy. They were uneducated, and they had no hopes of a better future. They felt incredibly unloved. And you know where this is going. It's so tragic. But for many people today, they feel the exact same way. There might be someone here today and you say, well, my dad left when I was just a kid. And you're wondering, so, so what's wrong with me? You know, why couldn't he stick around? I mean, it was just me and my mom. Why didn't, how could... What did I do that was so wrong that he would not love me? There's some of you that are going to have Christmas this year without your spouse because your spouse chose someone else or just said, you know what? I don't love you anymore. And you're looking at yourself going, what did I do wrong? I did the best I could. 
you're feeling very unloved. Some of you may look in a mirror and you don't like the person looking back at you. You don't even love yourself. And you think, if they don't love me, and and, and I don't love me, how could God ever love me? And it's so amazing to me to think about the differences between perception and reality. Perception, on a day like this, in church, you look around and you think, well, he's got it all together. She's got it all together. He's more successful than I am. They look like they've got a really good family, but I'm not like that. I'm so screwed up. If they knew the way I, the way I really am, and you have no idea the pain of the people, even in the rows around you. There could be from just, just the three seats from you, say, a single parent who's ready to cash it in because they feel so inadequate. They're thinking, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. If, if, if it weren't for my children, I, I wouldn't even want to be here. I can't keep it all together. Right in front of you, there's a guy who's doing, do, doing the best he can to worship God, but he feels like an utter and complete failure. He's struggling financially, and he knows when his kids go back to school in January, someone's going to ask him, what did you get for Christmas? And his kids are going to want to lie because what's under the tree is pretty bare. And he wanted to give to them, but he didn't have the means. And he feels like such a failure. There's someone else, maybe sitting right behind you, who's, who's single. And all their friends are married. And they're going, well, what about me? I mean, I'm trying to be a Christian. I'm serving and I'm trying to be an effective person. I'm trying to make a difference. And yet, no one seems to want. What's wrong with me? Somebody else near you looks successful. They have more money than you. They got more things than you. But inside, they're carrying such a burden. So much pain. And they don't feel like they have anyone close enough to even start to tell their story to. Unworthy. Inadequate. Unloved. And the bottom line is this. Religion did not work for the shepherds. It made them feel even more distant from God. Religion did not work for the shepherds, and religion doesn't work for us. You go, whoa, wait, 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 wait a second. I thought you were the pastor, man. What are you saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying God did not send Jesus to bring religion into this world, but in so many ways to set us free from religion and to give us something better. The problem with religion is that religion reduces Christianity to a bunch of rules, do's and don'ts. If I do the right thing, I feel better about myself. If if I don't do the wrong thing, I feel better about myself. I mean... I I must be a good person because I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't run with girls who do. So I must be okay, right? And if you do that, well, then I have the right to look down on you because I'm holier than you, because I'm more religious than you, because I obey more rules than you do, right? 
Jesus looked at that kind of behavior and he said, it makes me want to be sick. And he said to the Pharisees, you're so focused on the outside. And to you, your outside looks good, but on the inside, on the inside where it really matters, you're, you're filthy. He said, you've missed the entire point. Religion didn't work for the shepherds, and religion doesn't work for us. Because Christianity was never meant to be a religion. But it was meant to be a relationship with God. That's why God sent a person that you could relate to and not a book. That's why God sent Jesus, his son. That's the good news. If that's the good news, and, and, and if there's a Savior, well, what, what difference does that make? How, how does that make a difference to me today? So great question. We're going to check out something that a Christian killer had to say. This guy hated Christians, okay? He got official permission for the governing authorities to go out and harass and imprison and kill all the Christians he could find. His goal was to completely eradicate anyone who followed Jesus. He was a leader against Christians. Some of you may feel like that today too. Some of you may know someone who feels like that. And when he started this mission, his name was Saul, and he was spiritually blind. Then he met Jesus. He went physically blind. His heart and his life were transformed, and he gained spiritual sight. There he was commissioned for his new mission. He was given back his physical sight, and he was given a new name, Paul. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote, okay, in the book of Romans, in chapter 3, starting at verse 20. For no one can ever be made right by God doing what the law commands. The law shows us how sinful we are. But what has God done? But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. And here's the good news. Without keeping the requirements of the law. What does that mean? Verse 22. We are made right with God. Not by observing the law, but by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So what is the good news? Number one, the good news is you cannot earn God's acceptance by observing the law. You cannot be good enough for God just by trying to obey all the rules. This was such good news for the shepherds because they lived in a society where the Pharisees tried to obey. Do you remember how many? 613 laws. Christians, well, we had the Ten Commandments, right? And then God said, you know what? Let's make this even more clear. I'm going to give you two. Love God, love people. Let's really narrow that focus down so you don't get distracted. They were trying to obey 613 laws, and the shepherds physically could not do it. Their occupation prohibited them from being able to obey the law. Now, the good news is you can't do it, even if you try really, really hard. Verse 20, for no one can ever be made right with God by what? By doing what the law commands. So why do we have the law if we can't keep it? What's it even there for? Number one, you cannot earn God's acceptance by, obse by observing the law. Number two, what's the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is to show you your need for a Savior. 
For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Why is the law here? Read it here. It says the law simply shows us how sinful we are. What does the law do? It reveals our need for a Savior. Now, we need to just pause here for a moment, okay? This part, we we need to get really clear. In our culture today, here's one of the fundamental flaws in thinking. So many people believe they're actually good. We started 2017 with a series called Basecamp, and it was a foundational breakdown of the basics, of the step-by-step coming-to-faith kind of process for adults. The beliefs of Christianity summarized and explained from that kind of a level. And then in that series, we talked a little bit more about this and we fleshed it out. And I would say to you, please, again, um, go back and listen to, pod, to the, the podcast on Basecamp. If you haven't heard it at all, please go back and listen to that. It really helps to clear up a lot of what it is that we're about and what it is we believe and why we believe it and what difference it makes that we do believe it. So if I asked you, hey, how, how many of you think that you're basically a good person? Many of you, probably, probably most of you would say, yeah, I'm generally a good person. We like to add, you know, generally. We understand there's something there, not all the time. And you say, well, I, I know some bad people and I'm not them. So that makes me good. And if you compare yourself to other people, well, that may be true. Especially when you decide to compare yourself to the standard Hitler. Am I, am I better than Hitler? Well, yeah. See, he's bad, I'm good. Because we're not the same. But we're not talking about comparing ourselves to other people. We're talking about comparing ourselves to God's standard. With that in mind, we're all bad people. But the way that we deal with that is that we so often, we we just um, feel bad. And once we feel bad enough, we just change the rules. We just change the way that we talk about those rules. Those those rules don't apply because they make you feel bad. So that's that's not really the way it should be because it's 2017. We don't have to think like that anymore. We'll just change the rules. But here's the great deception, and this is why it's so incredibly important. It's not what you believe or don't believe politically. It's what you believe spiritually. And until you see yourself as a sinner, you will not see your need for a Savior. Without a Savior, you can't be saved. And you will stay trapped, caught with it. It doesn't matter what you redefine anymore because the truth remains that you are trapped. You are caught in a bondage that you can't get out of. The only way out is to realize that you're a sinner because a sinner needs a savior. And as long as you're just okay, then you're just trapped where you are. And you recognize then that we're not just good people trying really hard, but we're bad people who are failing miserably. Then you can begin to to recognize, oh my gosh, I need help. I'm trapped. I've fallen and I can't get up. We do need saving. We need His grace. When we realize that, the next discovery is this. Religion cannot save you. When you recognize, I am a sinner, then you won't be looking for salvation through religion, but you'll be looking for salvation through a person. 2,000 years ago, the Savior was born Christianity was never meant to be a religion, but a relationship with a loving God who sent his son to reveal just how good he is. So what's the good news? The good news is that you cannot be good enough for God by observing the law. He knows that. We need to get to it. 
So what's the purpose of the law then? The purpose of the law is to show us our need for a Savior. You thought you were good. Well, let me just show you the law. The law shows you that you're not good enough. So how are we ever going to be made right with God? Number three, the good news teaches us this. Righteousness with God comes by faith in Christ alone. It's not Christ plus religion. It's not Christ plus church membership. It's not Christ plus giving money. It's not Christ plus good work. It's Christ plus no thing. Nothing. Christ plus nothing. It's putting our faith in Christ alone. Verse 22, we are made right with God by doing what? Say it out loud. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. How are we made right with God? Say it again. By placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the way. Straight, simple, clear. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. And the angel appeared to the shepherds, the people that religion had rejected. And the angel said to those rejected people, fear not. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. The unworthy, the inadequate, and the unloved. The unimportant, the disenfranchised. The ones who don't measure up, the ones who are not good enough, the ones who don't know everything, the ones who get things wrong. A Savior has been born to you. How are you made right with God? By faith in Christ alone. Are you good enough for God on your own? No. No, but because of what the Son of God did for you on the cross, becoming sin for you, dying in your place and raising to new life, because of that, when you place your faith in Him, God no longer sees your sin, but He sees His own righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. That's why religion didn't work for the shepherds, but a relationship did. Their righteousness wasn't going to be enough, but they could put on the cloak with the righteousness of Jesus, so that when God looks, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Religion is all about us and our efforts to please God. Working harder, trying harder, staying late. Relationship is about God's perfect work and satisfying the debt for sin through Jesus. Religion is about what we do or or don't. Relationship is about what God did and his perfect work. Religion could be spelled D. Oh, relationship could be spelled D-O-N-E. It's totally and completely done. Religion says if, if, if I work hard and, and, and if I work well, then, then maybe, maybe I could please God. Relationship says because I'm already accepted with God by Christ, Therefore, I want to work hard. Therefore, I want to engage. And that's the game changer. When you realize this, the shepherds feel just like we do. Unworthy, inadequate, and sometimes unloved. But fear not. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. No matter how bad you've been, no matter how bad you messed up, or how alone you feel, 
Verse 22 from Romans chapter 3 says, We are made right with God, not by good works, not by religion, but by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. Let's say this last part together out loud. No matter who we are. And that, that's the good news. And no matter who you are, a Savior has been born to you. His name is Jesus, and He is the Lord. Let's pray. Kind Father, thank you so much for the power of the gospel. Not just the message, but the power that's in it. The good news. Thank you for your presence today. We ask God that you would minister to us in a way that would be life-giving and life-transforming. And this is a tumultuous season. And some of us may be carrying a heavy burden right now. And we've talked for three different weeks about fear. Today I want to give us an opportunity to cast our cares upon God because he cares for you. God is here and because of that we really have nothing to fear. Lord God, for those of us experiencing a heaviness, a burden, a concern, perhaps a fear that we've been carrying today by faith, we just, we just want to give that over to you, God. As we practice casting our cares on you, God, I thank you that you will give us a supernatural peace that goes beyond our human ability to understand. We thank you, God, that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so, God, by faith, we ask that you would work miraculously in each situation as we individually need. God, I thank you in advance that we can trust you and that by faith, we can, either, we can enter once again into partnership with you. That which we carried in, that was a burden. That which is coming to our mind right now that's heavy, cumbersome. God, we're going to give it to you. We're going to leave it here. And we're going to believe that you will always be faithful. God, we trust you. And Father, I can't help but sense that there are so many of us who from a spiritual perspective, we feel unworthy, we feel inadequate, and we feel unloved. And there's a heavy burden of wondering, where do we stand with God? Thank you for the good news that we can't be good enough on our own. God loves us so much that the purpose of his law was to show us that we can't do it on our own, that we would need someone else. And he loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus, that whosoever calls on his name would be saved, would be completely changed, forgiven, and made new. There are those of you that God brought here specifically for this moment. And you, you can sense it. You know on the inside there's something happening. What, what, what is that pull? What is that tug? What is that discomfort that you're feeling? It's the power of God drawing you towards himself. Those of you who would say, yes, I need him. Yeah, yes, I need his grace. I'm not enough on my own. By faith, I surrender today and I give my life to God through Christ. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand now? Say, yeah, that's my prayer. That's me. 
Let's all pray aloud together with those who are around you. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner and I do need a Savior. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe that you died for me and you rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit that I may follow you. So I could know you. And so I could serve you for the rest of my life. Thank you for my new life. Today I give you mine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. It's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. And I'm convinced that the more we connect, the better it gets. The more we connect, the more we become the answer to the prayer of Jesus that he prayed in John chapter 17, where we took our theme verse from. That we, would live, that we would live in such a way that we were unified, that we would live in such a way that you, we were unified, that we would declare what God is about, and that everyone would know how much God loves them. So as you go, that's the mission, that's the message, that's, that's what I want you to go and take with you. So I'm sending you out with that and reminding you that we are Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and mission-focused that mission is for everyone, everywhere, all the time. Go be the church. Go with the grace of Jesus Christ with you.